Welcome to Monday Sportif. Follow us on Twitter at at Monday Sportif LDN. Welcome to Monday Sportif, where you can now find this podcast on the Newsly app. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. You can browse articles from topics you choose and start playing, stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like, from sports, science, to Bitcoin and the Kardashians. It will find you the latest articles and read them to you. And they have podcasts, Rick. As well, explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. Our podcast, Monday Sportive Podcast, is there too. That's right. Now, download and use the Newsly app for free uh, following the link www.newsly.me or from the link in the description below. And we have a promo code for one month's free premium subscription. Get on it. Now. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Monday Sportive Podcast. How are you, Rick? I'm very well. They'd said we wouldn't get this far, but we've shown them. Indeed, 14. Now this week we've got a very special interview with football author and writer Gary Facker as we look at his new book, Out of the Blue, which details the incredible run of results that led to Chelsea lifting the Champions League title in 2012. Now, it was a good laugh, Rick, and a great chat. And I kept my professional hat on being a Queen's Park Rangers supporter, didn't I? Yeah, you were you were surprisingly timid, or not timid, tame is the word. Tame, especially for you. Um, yeah, it was a good chat. It was a good chat. And um, yeah, it was a, reminiscing a great, great day. Indeed, it was for many Chelsea supporters. Now, after the chat with Gary Facker, what have we got coming up, Rick? Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, the England results, the friendlies and how they were performing and our thoughts on that. And then we're going to go through the results of the group stages. Well, not the results, the group stages, who's playing who and just little thoughts, I think. I think that'd be quite tasty. Indeed. That is, of course, the World Cup. Let's get going, Rick. Let's do it to it. Hello and welcome to Monday Sportif, where we are going to be interviewing Gary Facker on his new book, Out of the Blue, which is Chelsea's unlikely Champions League triumph. The book is published on the 11th of April this year, and Gary's going to talk to us more about this as we go through this section. Gary, welcome back to Monday Sportif. Thanks very much, guys. Great to be back and uh, talking about... Uh... The book so yeah thanks for having me on board looking forward to a nice chat no it's great to have you on and just to let you know this is your second appearance on the podcast so you are now on for a hat trick gary well that's perfect I'm, I'm just currently working on a which will be my seventh book and probably my last one which is about the ajax teams of 70 the early 70s that won three successive european cups which is be out in 2023 so perhaps we can get my hat trick ball next next year guys that sounds perfect. Yeah, you're on for a hat trick, and that sounds like a good one way to finish it off. That's, that sounds perfect to me, mate. 
Indeed it does. So the, the new book, Out of the Blue, is the unlikely story of Chelsea's recovery from a season seemingly in, ter- in terminal decline to winning the FA Cup and delivering improbable victories over Napoli, Benfica and Barcelona before beating Bayern Munich in their own stadium to be crowned champions of Europe. The book goes into great detail this season. It was a, a, you know, it started off as quite a tragic season for for Chelsea, didn't it, Gary? And in in this book, do you go into details um, about the, the managerial changes at Chelsea that season? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the book starts actually in 2008 when uh, Terry misses the the penalty win in Moscow, the 2008 final against Manchester United, and then sort of picks up the managerial changes from there. And it's sort of, there's a sort of hairline trigger on that moment. Terry doesn't slip and scores. Avram Grant becomes a hero, gets a new contract. Terry slips, the ball hits the post, and Avram Grant gets the sack. And it's strange (laughs) that a a manager's fortunes... uh, his fate sort of hinge on whether a player slips or not. I mean, this is this is football. It's crazy. But yeah, so it picks up on there, and and, and what happened after Grant and the, the managers have followed, and uh, and how it led to um, Vias Boas, and when it, so it goes from sort of Mourinho Mark One to Mourinho Mark Two, as um, as Vias Boas was sort of uh, labelled when he arrived from uh, Portugal to take over Chelsea. Indeed, I mean, I've I've just made some notes on Vias Boas, so. Obviously, he he became the manager of Porto and won the Portuguese Super Cup against Benfica, their fierce rivals. And then yeah. he went on to win the, the Premier League, undefeated by more than yeah. 20 points, uh, conceding only 13 goals. It, it, he was really, at that time when Chelsea took him on, he was a marquee manager and he was very up and coming. But do you think it was a bit of a risk looking back on it for Chelsea, you know, such a prestigious club to go for AVB at that time? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, if we all had 2020 hindsight, we'd be millionaires and all, we'd always know <laughs> the 330 at Doncaster. But yeah, I mean, I mean, he was at the time of those players was the hottest of hot, young, hottest, hottest of hot young coaching prospects in Europe. Yeah. And I think Chelsea was sort of also um, influenced by the fact that they plucked uh, Mourinho from Portugal and the success that followed and that sort of carried a bit of weight as well. And as you say, it got a complete season defeat. And one, I think, was it the UEFA Cup or the Cup Winners Cup as well? Yeah, he won the UEFA Cup as well, yeah. yeah, Absolutely, absolutely crazy. Man. But the, the problem was, you know, as, as you rightly say, it was a gamble because the guy was 37, I think, at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and had known nothing but success. And that's great in one way. <clears throat> but when you go into the higher echelons of, you know, more competitive football, whether it be the sort of the Italian league, the Spanish league, the German league or whatever, or the or the, the Premier League, um, you have to learn how to deal with defeat as well. And it's something yeah. that he never had to do. And I think that was a, you know, it got this sort of, it hadn't sort of gone through the school of hard knocks, shall we say. Right, university yeah, yeah. And I think that was probably something lacking in his, in his managerial um, CV. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, when, when he came to Chelsea and um, started the season, started the 2011-2012 um, season, it was, it was a time of massive hope. And, um, that, you know, he was the guy, this was Mourinho Mark II. He was the guy who's going to do exactly the same as Mourinho, but probably better. Yeah. And, of course, obviously, it, it, it didn't work out that way. And, you know, I had a, I have a sort of civil conversation with people about Irvus uh, Boas and, you know, what was the reason? Why did he fail? When, and it's difficult, obviously, to, to pin that down. But Yeah. In short term, I think it was it was a little too much, a little too soon. 
possibly. Rick, do you remember the AVB days being a Chelsea supporter? I remember them a bit, but they they kind of they seem to be over before they started in a way. I mean, I remember bits and pieces. You know, I, I was back at uni in those days, so I was kind of my Chelsea love was kind of distracted a bit with the with the with the party the party scene. But um, he <laughs> seemed like like yeah, like uh, like Gary said, you know, you kind of thought, oh, here we go. You know, we've got a good thing lined up here, and um, it started off very it started off pretty well, and then it just started to I don't know if he I don't know if he, he lost the lost the locker room or something like that, but. It all just seemed to slowly grind to a halt. I mean, Gary, what do you think about that? I think that's very much the case, uh, mate. Yeah, um, it, it started off fairly well, and um, as I say, the, the problem is, is that if you don't know, if you're not used to having defeats and problems, then you don't know how to do it. And yeah. once start, things started going a little bit off centre, then that's when the pro problem started, and, and a small problem became a larger problem because it wasn't dealt with effectively. And you know, it became a sort of spiral decline. And he had this this phrase that he used a number of times that became sort of like a, a rock that held him down. Um, mm -hmm. The project that he said that he's part of these, his, his um, remit at Chelsea was to um, reduce the, the age of the squad. By that he meant break the power of the influence of the uh, elder states within the squad. So you're talking Czech, Terry, Lampard. Yeah. yeah. And you know, if you're taking on players like that, you've got to you've got to succeed. And immediately you fail, you're not hiding to nothing. And I spoke to the book contains lots of interviews with um, there's a group of five, uh, sorry, six Chelsea fans who we sort of to talk to throughout the throughout the sort of um, story of the season. And, a, and several um, journalists who were sort of prevalent at the time, the various newspapers and the BBC. And, you know, they all say very similar things about Villas Boas that, you know, he seemed um, naive in, in mm. so, so many ways. And uh, they had, I mean, there's, there's, there's any number of examples you can cite, but, you know, to, to, to sort of take on and fail, this is a problem. If you take on and succeed, that's fine. If you take yeah. on and fail against a number of, um, you know, well-loved players at a club, you, you know, you, you turn around and you've got no friends. Yeah, just touching on that point, and, and this is where I, I'm, I'm going to come into my own very, very quickly. I'm a Queen's Park Rangers supporter, and I've got extremely fond memories of that season at Loftus Road. I was there. Uh, I had my ticket in the stands, and QPR beat Chelsea 1-0, and it was party atmosphere, absolutely fantastic. It was, a, it was a bizarre game in that Chelsea ended up with nine players on the pitch yeah. and, you, and you still pinned us back and pepper-potted our goal. Yeah. But we, we managed to hang on for a 1-0 victory. It was, one of, it was an incredible day at Loftus Road to be a Queen's Park Rangers supporter. But my point being is there was a feeling in the air at that time, especially I think you'd come off the back of losses to Manchester United and Arsenal. Yeah. And there was a feeling in the air of, you know, there was turmoil at the club. The fans weren't happy. Like you touched on there, the big players at Chelsea, you've got the Czechs, Terry, Lampard and Drogba. You could tell there was something not quite right at the club at that time. And obviously then to lose against QPR you know, potentially up, it was almost like the nail in the coffin. Yeah, they, I mean, the club was in a... It's difficult when you're, in, when you're in a sort of spiral of decline to turn it round, and you need your big players. And the problem is, is that Willis-Boas had, had alienated the big players. 
Um, there was two, I mean, I'll just give you two examples that actually um, involve Ashley Cole rather than the players I've mentioned. Mm. Uh, there was one that, um, this is quite late on in his tenure, uh, at, he called at Cobham, he called a, a, a meeting with all the squad and said, okay, mm. you know, let's take our stripes off. It's an open discussion. If you think there's something going on that's not right, tell me. And Ashley Cole basically um, did so and told him what he thought was wrong and got dropped for the next game. Blimey. Wow. Now, when you do that sort of thing and you say, okay, guys, let's, let's sit there and roll our sleeves up and have a chat between ourselves and then punish somebody for doing it, then yeah. you get in trouble. And the other, the other one was uh, against Napoli. Um, Cole had been injured against, I think it was a game against Everton, and he declared himself fit for the game against Napoli. This was a game where um, uh, both left, left Lampard, uh, Mikel, yeah, uh, I, I Cole on the bench. Cole had just declared himself fit, and um, but Villas Boas had announced that he wasn't fit to play. Mm-hmm. And in the game, about six or seven minutes into the game, uh, Basingua got injured, and so Ashley Cole came off the bench and played basically 84 minutes plus injury time of a game that Villas Boas had said he wasn't fit to play in when Cole had said he was. Now, I, during the course of the um research for the book. I happened upon a, a chance conversation with, uh, I can't mention his name, but a, a famous and very wealthy Chelsea fan right. who was in, in the, the hotel um, in Naples at the same yeah. time as the club. And uh, he was a few floors below, I can't remember if you were below or above, but not, not that distant from um, Villas Boas's room. Yeah. And Boas had called Cole in to tell him he wasn't playing. And there was. Um, a vociferous discussion show was a full and frank exchange of views. Wow! At that time as well, and so these are the situations where you know you've lost you've lost the dressing room, and uh, yeah. you know it was only going to go one way. And it's a bit when when uh, Mourinho uh, got the sack the second time, and, and Manalo came onto the Chelsea um, TV and said there was a, a palpable discord between mm. the players and the squad, between the players and the coach. Well, I, what I want to say is. People listening to the podcast uh, on this episode, that shows you out of the blue, which is Gary Fucker's new book, has got exclusive content in it and lots of gossip from the Chelsea hotel room. So uh, (laughs) there we go. That sounds fantastic. Now, I actually didn't put that in the book because I can't quote the source. So I didn't put that in the book. This is a podcast exclusive. Yeah. So we've got AVB. He's on the ropes. He gets relieved of his duties at Chelsea, should we say. Yeah. Uh, obviously, potentially, there's a, there's a link there to the, the big players at Chelsea being part of that factor. And who arrives on his stallion but Roberto Di Matteo, the Chelsea legend? <coughs> yeah. Well, Di Matteo had been appointed as as Villas Boas's um, assistant at the start of the season. And it was a, a similar thing that Chelsea did quite recently with... When Ancelotti was there, they put uh, Wil- Ray Wilkins in as his assistant. When um, Avram Grant took over from Mourinho, yeah. they put um, Steve Clark in as his assistant. So I mean, it was a fairly prudent move to, to have, if you have a new manager coming in with no Chelsea links, to have a number two that ha- has got Chelsea links, so it makes it easier. Yeah. And, and Di Matteo was sort of, he came from, he got the sack at uh, West Bromwich Albion. After a brief time with MK Dons, I think it's MK Dons. Yeah, uh, yeah. and got got uh, West Bromwich promoted. Played really nice football, and they, they got relegated. and They fell apart. Um, but he was only given the job as a temporary measure 
towards the end because the season was probably two thirds of the way over. Yeah. Um, by then, and it was after the Napoli game in in Italy. And I think he got sacked after the away one 0 defeat to West Bromwich Albion. Ironically, yeah. Di Matteo's <laughs> previous club, and yeah. um, and Di Matteo was invited to take over. The biggest well, he got two big assets when he took over. A, he was he he, he knew the players. The players knew him. The Chelsea con- connection. But yeah. I think the biggest asset he got was he wasn't Willis Boas. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. So. so- so this is where this is where this incredible journey begins uh, for Chelsea in, in this particular season. Like you said, Gary, three quarters of the season's gone. Chelsea is still very much well. They, they, they're down three-one from the first leg in Naples. With Napoli just had an absolutely fearsome side, didn't they? They had Edison Cavani, Marek Hazic. Uh, and Lavezzi playing playing well that season. 3-1 yeah. down in Naples. Surely Chelsea weren't going to be able to bring this back. But then came the second leg at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, indeed. And there was... Um, <clears throat> I was I was very fortunate for this, but I got in contact with Sky to the television and they allowed me some of their archive um, footage to look at. They did a programme about Chelsea that's called uh, Kings of Europe. Right. And they, they sort of sent me that footage. was brilliant of them. And there's a, there's a famous thing where uh, Terry says that before the Napoli game, um, they did a press conference with Di Matteo. He did a press right. with Di Matteo. And uh, before they went up to the press conference, Di Matteo stopped him and said, look, you know, we've got to go in there and we've got to tell him exactly how it is, that we believe we're going to come, come through this, blah, blah, blah. And it was sort of, and Terry said it set the, the tone for yeah. the, the defiance and that, that came through in the, in the players and... Uh, the, it, 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 there was another example of, of the of Di Matteo's what he did right and Billis Boas did wrong and and in that game actually three um, one down and virtually on the way out and it'd been four one if actually Cole had included a one off the line um, yeah. towards the end of the game um, actually Chelsea had wiped out that that this that uh, deficit and were ahead before half time they were winning two mm-hmm. one and then uh, they conceded a goal and then uh, Lampard scored to make three one and obviously it went into extra time and. Uh, and there was that belief there, and it was basically after the game where in Naples, where a lot of the old guard, shall we say, had been left out because Terry was injured as well, missed that game yeah. in Naples. Um, but they were all back for this game, and it was a sort of we'll show them we're not the one sort of attitude, and the, um, the, the ground was uh, absolutely electric. And, yeah, that's uh, what I was going to say. I, I think the, the bridge was very jubilant, weren't they? They were happy that. Di Matteo was at the reins. I mean, Ricky, do you remember that era? Or do you remember yeah, when no, the yeah. return leg? Yeah, it just felt like a bit of a rejuvenation is the word I'm going to use for that. Yeah. And just You've got your key players, that you know, the spine of the team, you know, Lampard's back, you've got, you know, you've got Czech, Drobra, all these players, these key players that, that you know, mean so much to us. And they just, they just showed, showed you, showed everyone what they could do. I mean, especially being down, you know, away from home, but then being back at the bridge, and then winning in such a way, I, I just remember getting excited again and, you know, thinking, you know, anything could be possible. Are we, is this going to happen for us? Because obviously it never happened before for Chelsea. So it was just, it was exciting, but nervous excitement for me anyway. I don't know about everyone else. I definitely. And it's probably no coincidence that the goals scored in that game, the first three goals were scored by Drogba. Yeah, of course. And Terry and Lampard. Yeah. The you know, solid I mean, goals, weren't they? They were just, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So, um, I mean, 
I'm obviously not being a Chelsea supporter. I do remember watching this um, this sort of re- like Ricky said this rejuvenation <laughs> of the team, and I I honestly every hurdle that Chelsea came up to in this Champions League uh, run, I just thought, oh, they're definitely going to lose. I mean, yeah. so they ne- the next round they come up against in the quarterfinal Benfica, who at the time were playing very attractive football like they always do. It was a tricky tie, wasn't it, to come up against Benfica, especially for Chelsea being in this sort of vulnerable state. Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, this is one of the reasons. And I got asked, I did a podcast for, with another set of guys recently, and they asked me, would you have written a signed book if you were a Chelsea fan uh, or, or if, if it happened to another club? I, I think the answer is yes, because it's such a crazy story. Yeah. You know, yeah. In all the European Cup, history of the European Cup and the Champions League, you've got, you've got some tournaments, some years where you get these amazing games like the Liverpool 3-0 down against uh, against Milan and come back, get the draw, and then we're on yeah. Like Man United um, being 1-0 down in 99 and scoring two goals later on. But this, Chelsea were going out, as you quite rightly say, three, four, five times. I mean, even mm. the group stages, though, they, they were nearly out. Yeah. Um, so it's such a ridiculously unlikely story that whether it's Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, Man City or Bradford Park Avenue, it doesn't matter who the club is. It's such a crazy story. But but sorry, yes, got Benfica. <clears throat> because the, at, at this stage, they made the draw for the quarterfinal and the semi-final at the, at the same time. Mm. So the, you, the, the sort of your path, your path was set if you're going to get to the oh, final. Yeah, yeah. I think Benfica hadn't lost a game at home in a European competition for about three years or something crazy like that. A yeah. long time anyway. <clears throat> and obviously Torres had been playing like a guy with a cement overcoat. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember that. Liverpool. Yeah. I mean, uh, just just very briefly touching on that, that was a very strange period of time for for Torres because we'd all seen him literally light up the Premier League with Liverpool. It was he was quite a fascinating player to watch. He was at the height of his game. He was very quick. He was agile. He he was scoring goals from ridiculous sort of uh, places on the pitch for Liverpool. And then he, I think he might have had some sort of knee injury and yeah. then Chelsea snap him up for 50 million, if I'm not yeah. wrong in saying. And he just looks, I, I love this expression, but he, he sort of looks like a pantomime horse for Chelsea, yeah. doesn't he? He's sort of like, yeah. he's trotting around the pitch with no agility. He seems to have lost his eye for goal. I mean, I mean yourself, Gary and Ricky being Chelsea supporters, it must have been just like, you know, horrendous to see. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, strangely enough, um, when he was at Liverpool, he was, if not the best, certainly one of the two or three top strikers in Europe, but never won a pot, never won a trophy. I know, he, yeah. yeah. He came to Chelsea and, as you said, played like a donkey sometimes and yet yeah. won a lot. And won a lot. So yeah. and, and that's a strange thing. And I think it went, when he came to Chelsea, because came in January, I think he played something like 13 or 14 games without scoring a goal. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I remember as well. I mean, because I got the st- I, like tiny stats for him. He got eleven goals in all competitions that season, and three of them were in the Champions League, and two of them, were, two of those three goals were just against Genk in the group stages. Yeah. I mean, we all remember what that last goal is. But I'm sure we're going to get to. But yeah. Um, yeah, and that's why I think with Werner in the current stage, I get I get Torres vibes, or I, I did last season anyway, because it's just a bit like, oh, he's going to blow it. These these certainties that you would think, yep, this is a sure thing. Torres has got it, or Werner's got it, you, you, and they you, find a way to blow it. Yeah, you poor poor Chelsea supporters, you've had to put up with Torres and Werner. You know, there's me supporting QPR. <laughs> <laughs> I 
are. I know you know that you, you never know what you know. Be you, like, you, Alex. You, you, you you have to put up with these. <laughs> you have to put up with these million pound purchases. You poor supporters. You know. Yeah, you'll never know yeah. our struggles, Alex. You'll no. never know. So I mean, so just so basically, we're looking at Benfica was an extremely tough tie. Chelsea showed extreme resilience. They came through. Uh, I believe the the second leg at the bridge was closely contested, and I think it was Morales who scored a thunderbolt. Yeah, they'd won away actually at, at Benfica, and, to- and uh, Torres had created the goal for Kalou, who was another controversial Chelsea player yeah. of the time. And uh, back at back at Stamford Bridge, uh, went ahead, so they're, they're winning by two goals. And Benfica, the captain, sent off in the first half. So he two goals clear, playing against ten men. Yeah, and you're going to coast this. Yeah, and then, and then with about ten minutes to go, fifteen minutes to go, uh, Garcia who went to Man City afterwards, yeah, that corner he walks in unmarked, heads in, and all yes. of a sudden, Benfica one goal away from knocking Chelsea out. We're in yeah. trouble, and pressure's building up. And then there's a they have a free kick towards the end of the game, and uh, I think it's Mikel heads it out, and Morales chases it, and Aymar took the free kick, but uh, a very lacklustre struggle and. Uh, Morales took the ball over and was away. Yeah, and Morales had played for Porto in his time in um, in Portugal. Yeah, had been barracked mercilessly by the Benfica fans across both legs. Yeah. And uh, when he scored the the goal, was did a crash, a, a wonderful goal in from I don't know twenty yards or so. Yeah, uh, he didn't have celebrate in front of the Benfica fans. Yeah, and, but uh, he, I, I, yeah, he sort of cupped his ears, didn't he? But I mean. He did. That 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 shot. If if listeners, if you want to YouTube uh, that goal, it really he, he literally buries it. It, it was a bad shot. Like chance. He Morales fires Chelsea into the semi-final of the Champions League miraculously. But you're then up against the formidable, and I'm going to say prime Pep Barcelona, and and the Barcelona at this time. Are literally giants of Europe, aren't they? Oh, yeah, well, they'd won two of the last three European Cups or well, Champions League trophies. Um, I think that they were just about to lose the title in Spain to um, to Real Madrid, to Marina's Real Madrid. Um, but they were riding Spanish champ- League of Champions, mm. and they, I think they'd scored something, something crazy. Man, they've only lost one game since the previous November. And mm. they'd scored, I don't know, like 30, 40 goals in City three. I mean, crazy. Uh, but, I mean, this is the team of, of you know, Fabregas, Iniesta, Xavi. Crazy. Just, just to name a few. But... Yeah, just to name a few of the world stars. And, you know, to say they were favourites just doesn't do the injustice. And to say they absolutely played Chelsea off the park. For 180 minutes doesn't doesn't do it justice either. No, it doesn't, does it? It is it. Well, I mean, even when you watch some of the highlights, I mean, I remember watching the games, but you watch the highlights back even now, and you look and you just think, how on earth did yeah. Chelsea? And and it was one nil at the bridge, wasn't it? Well, yeah, and there's there's, there's an, a, a, a sort of a, an interesting stat about the two legs. The Chelsea scored three goals against Barcelona. None of them, none of the Chelsea goals were scored in regulation time. Yeah, of course, of course. Drop was scored in injury time and at half time in the first leg. And yeah. in the second leg, Ramirez scored it in, in injury time in the first half. Yeah. And Torres' goal was in injury time at the end of the game. But the, the, the goal that Chelsea scored, um, and Di Matteo, and this is what I picked up after looking reviewing the sky footage. Yeah. Um, Di Matteo had got this plan that Danny Alves was playing for um, Barcelona at the time at right back. 
<coughs> excuse me. And basically, because Barcelona never hardly ever needed to defend, he, he played more like a right winger. Yeah. Because uh, that's that's just the way he played. And um, Di Matteo had clocked that if there's a chance of a counter-attack, that's the space to hit. And mm-hmm. he moved Ramirez from the right of midfield to the left of midfield to be facing Dani Alves. With the instructions to the players, if you gain possession at a break, look to the left to the space behind Alves. Alves, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is what happened. Um, uh, Messi, I tried to nutmeg Lampard and lost the ball. Drop a hairs down the right and draws PK. Um, not PK, sorry. Um, oh, uh, uh, Adriano was playing on, on, on the full back. Yeah. Um, alongside with God, Puyol. 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 Yeah, Puyol. Yeah. Thank you. Puyol. Sorry. Puyol draws those two players and. Remember what you should tell Ramirez, hairs into the space. Now, Ramirez has got pace of a 200-metre runner. And Lampard lumps the ball across and he's in acres of space, gets to the edge of the area, and the Barcelona players run past Drogba to get back to the goal line. Drogba hangs back a bit. Ramirez cuts the ball back to him, and Drogba hits the ball with his left foot against his right foot, and it bobbles towards the goal. Now, Valdez, it could almost walk over and pick it up. But he's, instead of diving for the ball, he actually puts his foot out with his glove behind the ball. Yeah. Now, the ball hits his foot, and if his foot wasn't there, it would have hit his hand. Mm. And diverts the ball past his hand. And it, I mean, it's just a ridiculous goal. I mean, yeah. fair play for Di Matteo for spotting the tactical opportunity, but the execute, I mean, this it's just crazy. It's just yeah. another and, series of crazy things in the, uh, in the, in the run to the title. And, and that's it. So, I mean, the, the 1-0 victory at... The bridge, I'm going to say, was it was a remarkable victory. Like like you said, Gary, the, the possession stats, I haven't seen, but I can imagine it was just ridiculous. Yeah. And even more remarkable, Chelsea then travel to Camp Nou, or the new camp, as it's called, in Barcelona. And they've got, they've got a one-nil lead leading into it, but absolutely no one has got Chelsea on to progress, have they? Even at one-nil. <laughs> no. No. no, I mean, a one-goal lead is, is patently like you know, it's like when a fig leaf to cover embarrassment. I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen. It's insufficient, and, and you know, I, things get worse very very much uh, very much quicker after that. I mean, I think it would play play Tottenham in the FA Cup semi-final, and um, Luis had sprained his hamstring, and about a dozen minutes into this game, um, Cahill does exactly the same, mm. and so you have to bring on. Uh, a single comes on uh, as a substitute. Ivanovic shuffles across into the centre of defence, which isn't a major problem. But then Terry doesn't get to get self sent off. Oh God, I remember yeah, it now. Rick, you, you mentioned you mentioned this, Rick, and was it off the ball challenge or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think. I mean, I just remember his knee going into the back. It was either lower back or upper thigh, and it, for some reason, I think I didn't even. Know played at the time or whatever but he just for some reason he just sees red before he sees the red card if you know what i mean he just he just knees him in the back or something isn't that right gary that's right yeah well the, the ball's actually out on the left hand side and the referee is a turkish referee and it's only i think his third or fourth champions league assignment which is a bit weird for a semi-final of the, of the tournament but yeah but there you go um although we're, we're sort of coming to the, the, one of the consequences of that a bit later yeah. um and and terry walks up behind um Oh, geez, the, ch- the chilling guy. His name scares me for something. Oh, uh, Alexis. Alexis Sanchez, yeah. yeah. And knees him in the back. Now, nobody sees, well, the referee didn't see. So, Alan Parry is commentating for Sky along with Neville, Gary Neville. And 
and uh, Alan Parry's lighter says that it was the linesman who saw it. It was on the other side of the pitch from where the ball was. And to tell the referee, the referee didn't see it, walks over, picks a uh, pocket and straight red card. Yeah. Terry sort of standing there aghast, like, I don't know what on earth I've done. What have I done wrong? I mean, it's like some kid with caught his hand in the squeeze. Yeah. I'm yeah. saying, oh, it's not me, Governor. It was the kid who run off down the road. I mean, it's just painful. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know what's going through. If you pull somebody down who's through on goal and he gets sent off, like, yeah. yeah. But it's just cr- absolutely crazy. It, did, it really didn't help the tension as well because I was on the edge of my seat like every fan, I imagine, before, before the game kicked off because you know you're against, you know, this is a real test. You're against the Giants, you know, the, some of the key, key players in the world. And, and, then, and then John Terry does that for no reason. And it's like, we don't need the added pressure, but yet here we are. And the tension was just, it was just too much for me to handle. I can, I mean, it's imprinted in my brain, these Barcelona games, just because of how tense it was. Yeah. It, it just, oh, do you know what? Just touching on it very quickly, it, it made me it made me laugh actually because when at the beginning of the game, when the camera pans across the Chelsea team, that that, that you can see that they're lined up in in the new camp and they are all just looking into the camera as if to say, "What have we got coming?" You know. Yeah. But what and, happened next? Surely enough, it did because um, Barcelona got the grips on the game. They they went two 0 up, didn't they? In the game, they did. Yeah, another interesting point just to do just a little bit uh, a little bit earlier and mentioned about the players standing up when they were lined up before the game. Yeah. Um when when Barcelona played at Chelsea, they were all black, a black one all black at kiss because the colour yeah. class between Chelsea's blue and their blow grana. And back in Barcelona, Chelsea's second kit was an all black kit as well. Yeah. Of course, yeah. But a few years ago, Mourinho took Chelsea to um to Barcelona. And setting them out wearing an all-white kit. Now, the the all-white kit is associated in Spain with only one club. Oh yeah, whilst Barcelona's hated rivals Real Madrid, and the kit that that um, Chelsea played in that day, Di Matteo had sent them out in. It was almost all white. He had a blue and a yellow band across the it chest. Was, yeah. It was all white, and so that was sort of like almost like an act of defiance. Um, I mean, but yeah, so Chelsea went. Chelsea basically went two 0 down very quickly. Um, Ramirez had to drop back to right back. And Basingua, who's, I mean, you'll know from being a QPR, I don't know, he's a little guy anyway. Yeah. And he went into, played in the central defence alongside Basingua, alongside um, Ivanovic. And, I mean, he played brilliantly. But yeah, he's... I mean, I, I, I don't talk about Basingua no. uh, because he was, he was dreadful at QPR. And yeah. I think we'll move swiftly on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, but Chelsea, as you quite rightly say, quickly fell two goals down. And you're thinking you're two goals down with 10 men away against the, the, the best team in Europe, if not the best team on the planet. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a quote I've got in the book from Lampard, which says, at this stage, I can't really get but at this stage, I thought we were on for a ride hammering. Mm. I, think, I think everyone watching around yeah. the world believed that. So Chelsea make it 2-1. Which goal was this? Was it Ramirez? Ramirez. Oh, yeah. Ramirez goal. What I, I just want to say, how calm and collective he was when he when he dinks the keeper. It's yeah. like he's not, a, it's, you know, he's just so focused. He's laser focused because, as I said, I was so tense. I would not, I would, I would be hitting the sides there. I'd be hitting it out of the park without, you know, not being able to concentrate. <laughs> he was so calm. Don't you think? He was just so calm and precise oh. with that ball. It was perfect. 
definitely Ricky. I mean, it's it's you know, there's a there's a there's these phrases that it's training ground finish. Yeah, that's um, it. And that's what it was. And I mean, and it I mean, there you go. This is a guy who's actually been there, who's positioned as a, as, as a right back, and he gets the, the ball gets shuffled out by Morellas, I think, to Lampard. And it comes hurtling past Lampard, and Lampard turns first time plays the ball. It goes between Mascarano and Puyol, and he's through. And you think, you know, I mean, you still got to score. You're away, and this pressure must be immense. But That's as it. you say, Ricky, it was it was the most calmest, assured, cool um, yeah. finish you can imagine. And uh, I mean, amazing, amazing goal. It gives you a bit of belief as well, doesn't it? Just a little glimpse of a glimpse of hope because he was so calm. You're thinking, well, if he's calm, that's going to radiate to the rest of the team, and they're going to, you know, they're going to see this and they can react from it, and and they did. Yeah, and from remarkably, from being dead and buried two 0 down with ten men in the new camp against Barcelona at half time because of the away goal, Chelsea are back in front on aggregate. Yeah, that's it. It's crazy. I mean, everyone loves an underdog, but I mean, you know, you're thinking. Can we? Are we going to be this lucky, or not even luck? But are we going to be this this good that we can prove ourselves in the best stage in the world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just uh, uh, there's a, uh, Peter Cech said that halftime. Di Matteo said, "Don't think of it as forty five minutes to play. Think of it as five minutes. Get to five minutes, then yeah. get another five minutes, then get another five minutes. And if you can see if you can get to, to to the first quarter of an hour out of the way, the pressure will start to build on on Barcelona, and it did." And obviously, just just after the break, they had that that sort of crucial moment when um, the ball's played to Fabregas. And basically, what what Di Matteo had done from um, for the second half, it got uh, his nine outfield players. So it got basically a, a back line of four, and the four the, the four defenders. It got three midfield players sit, sitting in front of them, and the um, both the forwards um, were basically positioned as extra fallbacks. So mm. it, it was in effect a six-three-zero lineup. Yeah, and uh, the ball came through to Fabregas, and Drogba uh, launched into a tackle, and Fabregas goes down. Now, afterwards, I think he didn't touch him, and the reason I know that he didn't touch him is that Fabregas said he didn't touch me, mm. but it's a big game. I had to go down for the penalty, and I can understand that. I can understand that. You know, if anybody thinks you know their their team hasn't got a player that dives, you know, come on, let's be serious. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, it's, it's actually, do you know, do you know what? I forgot about this this part actually because you've brought it in nicely, Gary. To this is the messy penalty, isn't it? It is the messy penalty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so th- th- this is it. The, you know, Messi is is the height of his powers at this stage. Yeah. Th- this penalty is going to bury. Any chance Chelsea have got of realistically, realistically getting through? Yeah. And what happens is just quite unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's two things to, to consider at this point. <clears throat> Firstly, in Pep Guardiola's time at Barcelona, there's only one club that had got a, a what they in America they call a winning record. In other words, they'd won more games than they'd lost. Yeah. Against Barcelona, only one club, and that's Chelsea. Blimey. Mm-hmm. And in the games that. Messi had played against Chelsea up to this point, and that was a few. It was seven or eight games. He'd never scored. He'd never scored. Yeah, he'd never scored. And Czech said that he he knew Messi had never scored, and you know the, the pressure's on Messi now. I should say it's a massive uh, point in the game, and he was determined not to to dive early, not commit himself to one start. Guess not gamble. Yeah, because 
it says because oh, goalkeepers now they look at players taking penalties, and um, as Messi runs up to the ball, he tends to look up first at the goalkeeper before he strikes the ball, as a lot of players do these type of days. Yeah. And if you look at the the, the um, footage, he, this is exactly what he does. And uh, as he looks up, Czech doesn't move. So he takes. He basically he said, "Okay, you've got him to Messi. You've got to make the first move." Yeah. Um, so basically, he just stood up, and Messi tried to put the ball, hit it straight and strong, and he hit the crossbar. Still hasn't scored against Chelsea. No. And it, so Chelsea are sort of riding their luck in the new camp, and then something out of nowhere. In fact, like the book says, out of the blue. It happens, <laughs> happens in the new camp, and suddenly Torres is away and bearing down on goal. And I'll hand it to you, Gary and Ricky, of what happens next. But it's quite an ex- extraordinary finish from Torres. In the new camp. Energy. I mean, one of the people I interviewed for the book was uh, Seb Hutchinson, who commentates for the BBC, and he was there. He was at the game behind the goal. Wow. Um, behind Valdez's goal in the second half. <clears throat> most of the play, he said, you know, he was, he was obviously at the other end, at the Chelsea end. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you didn't see much of the game. Um, but uh, this cross came in and um, uh, it, it strikes, it strikes um, Ashley Cole on the chest. And back, so before that, so when we want it back at it, because the, the, the strikers are playing as as extra fullbacks and Torres has come on for drug probably five or six minutes before. Yeah. Torres is playing like almost like an auxiliary left back. And someone tries to go around him and he gets the ball and tries to dribble it clear and lose the ball. But instead of going back to defence, he keeps trotting forward. He just <laughs> trots. I mean, you can see he just trots, literally trots forward. Yeah. Like a pantomime horse, actually. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and the ball comes in, it hits ch- uh, calm the chest, and he just basically larpoons the ball as far down the park as he can because times minutes are sort of ebbing away, and there's you know, we just want to clear the clear your lines. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you see the only player in the picture is Torres, <laughs> and it's in his own half, so he's onside, and he collects the ball. And this guy who came to Chelsea and on the way down the M6 put that cement overcoat on. Yeah. decides I'm not going to be Chelsea Torres anymore. I'm going to be Liverpool Torres. Yeah. One of the guys I um I spoke to um for the book is the, one of the an author named Ryan Balder. I don't know if you if you've heard of Ryan. Um he's just got a book that's sort of up for the uh, football writers book of the year award. Oh, and, okay. he, and he said that um years ago um he uh he went to his his parents took him to Barcelona because he was a Barcelona fan yeah. to watch Barcelona play Atletico Madrid when Torres was at Atleti. Now, Torres has got a, an amazing record for an Atletico that's playing against Barcelona, especially. Oh, okay. And he said, and he scored two goals that game when the young Ryan Baldi was watching him. And he said, Ryan said, as soon as I saw Torres, I knew he was going to score. I knew he was going to score because he always does. And he, he never looked like missing. Just kept it long past, um, past Valdez. He came out and rolled him to the only bag. And I remember at home, I was watching the game when I saw it at home. I was literally in tears. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. I mean, for me, it was bit, yeah, for me, it was a bit different because I thought, oh, why, why, why did they take Dropper off? And because you just know <laughs> he's in on goal, he's clear. Can he finish? Because he's been bottling it all season. And yeah. I was thinking, oh my God, no. I, and then he took it round the keeper. And even when he took it round the keeper, I was still thinking, no, he's going to slice it. He's just going to go wide. <laughs> Only when it hit the back of the net did I believe. And I, it all, everything came ahead, and everything was wonderful again. Um, it was just. 
heart in the mouth kind of moment. And I really didn't, I didn't have faith in it. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I had no faith whatsoever. But yeah, he really, I mean, million pounds well spent that moment in time anyway. Yeah, well, I was, I must admit, I, I, I screamed, take it to the court. But I've got, I've got a, a, I mentioned these few Liverpool fans that there was one guy, um, was watching at home with a couple of mates, and he'd actually got his laptop open with tickets booked for Munich. Um, and, and, but he hadn't pressed buy because the, the pressure was ridiculous. He just got to press buy. And when Chelsea's, when um, Torres scores that goal, he said, all oh, my, my mates were just exploding with joy because they're all Chelsea fans, obviously. Yeah. And uh, it, they got to pass by on the ticket. Oh, oh, God. But one of his mates one said, Don't, I've done it, I've done it. And they got the tickets to go. Oh, good. Uh, but I mean, it's a nice little story there. But uh, yeah, I talk about moments. And of so course, he, he had his finger on the trigger waiting to buy the tickets. Yeah, it was all set up. The, the, yeah. so the page was open. Not, not the tickets, the, the, the flights. Oh, the flights, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Flights. Yeah. And... Uh, and obviously, as I say, when when he didn't want to buy them because it just looked like Barcelona were going to score, he'd had it open for I don't know half an hour or so. But as I say, fortunately, somebody remembered because I mean those those flights would have been booked up very very quickly, I guess. And yeah. Obviously, he sent um, Gary Neville into some kind of raptures. With oh his yeah, that's quite funny, isn't it? On the on the commentary. So yeah. So what happens is Chelsea are now within arm's reach of the Champions League. That big silver beautiful cup of the Champions League is staring them in the face but between them is the might of German football which is Bayern Munich and at the time Bayern Munich have got an ex-Chelsea player Arjun Robben who is on form for for Bayern Munich he just seemed to be creating so many chances and scoring goals as well you had Frank Ribéry who was playing some great football there as well and you had Gomez uh, yeah. he, was, he was free scoring, should we say? Yeah. Uh, and then you had the ever-present Müller. I mean, what Rick and Gary? What what did you think your chances were against Munich? Bear in mind, also, it was being played in the Olympia Stadium, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, not the Olympia it's um, it's not called the the Allianz. Allianz, that's it. Yeah. yeah. The Allianz, yeah. Well, I mean, personally, I mean, it's one of those things where you think you've got to you've got to punch his chance, you know. You know, if it gets in a boxing match, they're going to box your head off. But you've got to you've got to punch his chance. And I was, I, I had a, a chat with uh, Oli Hesse, the the, the German um, author of um, who wrote Tor, the famous German book about German football, okay. and uh, he he was sort of saying that he explained to me about Bayern the situation in Bayern because he, I can't I don't I can't remember the German for it, but it was it's called the home final. And this has been the big thing for Bayern for t- ever since it was announced the final was going to be played at Bayern. That was the, they thought it was fate that yeah. Bayern were going to win in their home ground. Yeah. Um, and so there was this this the pressure on Bayern wasn't something that people in the UK, well, probably outside Germany or perhaps even outside Bavaria, um, actually appreciated how much pressure was on was on Bayern Munich. And uh, Oli Hesser says that you know so many chances were missed because players, oh, well. It's not it's not the sole reason, but it's it's a, a contributory reason that players felt so much pressure to deliver on what people consider as fate. I mean, mm. in in the uh, before the game started, behind the on the goals, the Bayern fans <clears throat> had this massive massive banner, and uh, it it said in German, but look at the English translation. Big picture of the European Cup in the middle. It said, "Our city, our stadium, our cup." 
Wow. That was the, that was the way that was the sort of fight that they thought. It was, and yeah. you know, man, if you're a betting man, anybody bets on Chelsea, it's like betting on a three-legged dog in a greyhound race. I mean, yeah. you know, that's for the chances. What, what, what do you remember about it, Rick? I just remember the strength they had. I mean, like you said, they had Gomez, Ribery, uh, Muller, Robin. They also had Cruz and Schweinsteiger as well in like the defensive midfield or solid midfield position. And uh, you know, Botang in defence, and obviously was it Neuer in goal? In goal, yeah. and thinking this is this. You know, you you just you just about well, you've just got past Barcelona, and you you think that's it. And I, I felt like we'd won the we'd won the tournament when Torres scored, and then you're thinking, oh God, we're not even. We just got to the final now. Yeah. And you've got these, you've got these seasoned veterans who are just, you know, like you said, home turf. And you're thinking, oh God, you know, you as I said, you you love an underdog, but you're thinking, can we just do this one last game? Can we do it? And you could, the tension was back for both teams, and it was it was a scrappy game. I remember it as a scrappy game anyway, and it was, yeah, it was just stressful. I was behind the sofa, just like looking every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think that's just what it's like being a football fan. But yeah, it was just just tense. Is just what I remember from that game. So yeah. we we had Bayern Munich creating a lot of chances. I can't. You got the Robin penalty, haven't you? Of course, which, yeah. The which penalty comes yeah. up, and and I, I I've watched the highlights recently, and and you have Czech almost sort of sits on it, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but it kind of gets behind again, him. Yeah. Then again, Czech um, said that um, this. I got this in the book. He that's uh, on the flight from. Um, London to to Munich. Uh, he'd watched every penalty Bayern had taken over the last, I can't remember, ten years or twelve years, but a long a long period of time. And uh, he said, I remember from Robin when he was at Chelsea that he's left footed, and he was tired because they're all tired. And he said, you know, if I was taking a penalty and I was tired, I'm left footed. The natural inclination is drag it to your left. He says, so I just thought I'll go that way. Mm. Now. It's something that a lot of people didn't notice at this time. Um, behind the Chelsea goal, there's a guy, and I think he's wearing an orange T-shirt. I've got this down in the book. Yeah. Um, I think he's wearing an orange T-shirt, and he's got a beach ball. Yeah, of um, course. I remember the beach ball now. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's um, Robin's got posted a penalty. He throws it, the beach ball up in the air and pats it towards the goal. Uh, Robin takes the ball. The ball, that beach ball, is bouncing to the left of Czech's left-hand post, and and obviously Robin. I don't think Robin saw it anyway, so I don't think it made any difference. But Czech saves the penalty, and because the um, UEFA now have got those extra, I don't know if you call them linesmen, but those extra referees assistants, the guy is standing um, on the sort of the goal line, about five yards from where the beach ball lands. Now, if this guy says, ref, we're going to take this again, I mean, yeah. who knows what would have happened? Fortunately, yeah. he didn't. He did, well, I can't imagine he didn't see it because he's right in front of his nose, but he never said anything. And obviously, Czech blocked it and then fell on the ball. And, uh, and you know, Chelsea escaped again. And you're thinking, you know, at this stage, you're thinking, this is just too stupid for words now. Yeah. The games that have gone before, Barcelona chances missed. Bayern Munich chances missed. This, you, you can't make it up. You can't no. make it up. And, and and I think tying in nicely, people listening as well to, to the book. Obviously, we know we know this what what the scores are and eventually what happened. But I think it, what, what I'm right in saying is yes, Chelsea supporters are going to enjoy reading the book, <clears> but also <throat> neutral supporters are also going to enjoy the story as well because, like you've mentioned, Gary, it's such a remarkable run of fixtures and 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 results so 
leading on, you know, Muller in the 83rd minute gives Bayern Munich the lead. And even again, once again, you're, you're looking at this and you're thinking, that's it. Chelsea are dead and buried. Well, I remember the goal going in when I was at home watching it with my, my son. And I remember, I just said to him, we're done. Because I don't think, well, we hadn't had any call in the entire game. and we, we never looked like scoring. And there's, I don't know, six, seven, eight minutes left. And you're thinking, well, you just, you're done, you're done, it's done. You can't, there's no, yeah, I mean, there's only so many times you can sort of, you know, put, put the bucket down the well before it comes up empty. Mm. I think all the water had gone, and you think it's just—it's no chance. And then, and then, Torres gets the ball, runs down, and gets a corner. And one corner—we had one corner in the entire game. And apparently, um, I think it was—I think it was all the Hesse. I can't remember somebody told me that uh, uh, Luis, um, had, uh, who had recovered from his hamstring injury, as had Cahill, because obviously um, Terry couldn't play. But they were both sort of semi-fit, shall we say. Mm. Would walk past Weinsteiger and said, "We're going to score here." <laughs> now, I mean, that's just a little wind-up merchant, perhaps. But yeah, obviously the uh, and and um, I didn't get that. Could you try again? The ball comes in, and uh, Matt, Matt attacks the corner. The ball comes in, and Lampard's ahead of Drogba, and he jumps for the ball. But he said, "He said afterwards, I felt Drogba, I felt Drogba behind me, and yeah. uh, I just I just left the ball for him." And of course, Drogba. This is fight. This is the last game for Chelsea before he gets to transfer his contract. Buries it. Buries it. And then, yes, so Drogba scores in the 88th minute and takes the game to penalties. What did you think of that time, Rick? Oh, it's just smooth as you, you know, as cool as you like. Drogba does the business and you're thinking... You know, you have the, the moment of pure joy that you're thinking, yes, we're back in it. And then you're thinking, oh, God, it's going to penalties. Here we go again. It's just it's just constant oh, tension. I keep using that word because it's just all I remember about this tournament is just tension. And you're thinking <laughs> penalties, you know, Chelsea, you, you're getting flashbacks to John Terry with his slip. And you're just thinking, oh, God, you know, just let this not be a repeat because you've had it's been such a long drawn out tournament. We've had such highs and lows. And you're thinking, you know, is it meant to be? Are we ever going to win it? Are we going to be the first London club to win the Champions League? You know, and it's just, I mean, Gary, what were you thinking? I bet you've got to be like me, surely. Well, Chelsea Chelsea have got a fairly checkered record with penalties and you're playing against Germans in, yeah, in, in Germany, in their own stadium. And you think, I mean, you know, and then obviously Matt attacks the first one and misses. And <laughs> you think, well, you miss it's, Again, it just it leads on that remarkable. It's just quite remarkable, isn't it, really? And, you know, matter missing that first one and then dragging it back yeah. to, to, to win on... Uh, was it uh, Schweinsteiger who hits he hits the post, doesn't he, for the last... Yeah, well, uh, Olich has one safe. At this point, just want to think about Neuer on the penalty shootout. And I don't, if you've watched it, you'll, you'll see this. Um, as, a, as the... And he does it in all... It's not just against Chelsea. He does it all the time. Mm. As the opposition player puts the ball there, he jumps onto the crossbar and rattles the crossbar. Yeah. Now, now, I, I mean, I remember saying this to my, to myself at the time. What would happen if the player, if a Chelsea player, had walked past Neuer and rattled the crossbar? The referee wouldn't have allowed it. So no. why does Neuer get away with that? Yeah, it's true. I, I just, I just, I remember that so vividly as I was watching the game. So, so sorry. Yeah. So basically, Matter misses. Uh, um, Larm scores. Um, Luis scores, uh, Gomez scores, 
uh, Lampard scores, and then you have Muller taking a penalty and I scoring. Remember that. Yeah. Drop, drop um, checks gone the right way every time, every time, and and not being able to save it. And obviously, you think about Germans and penalties. Then Olic steps up. Who isn't a German? And you think, oh, you know, whatever. And then uh, obviously, Ch- Czech reaches this big pour up and palms the ball away, and he's alive again. Ashley Cole scores, and then Schweinsteiger. And then Schweinsteiger scored the like the penalty against Real Madrid in the in the shootout to get to Bayern to the final. Yeah. And uh, Czech again, um, because he stood in the penalties, said. He always pauses, so it's a half run pause, makes the goalkeeper to move a little bit like uh, Jorginho does. Yeah. And uh, he said, I wasn't going to move. And when he stops and starts again, he said, I know he can't hit the ball very hard because he's, he's broke his run up. Yeah. So he's not going to be able to place it. So he said, I gambled left. And the ball just finesses on his fingertips, strikes the person. Check yeah. says in um, in the um, thing with Eric, I've got this in the book, that the worry was. Because the ball bounces behind check, he says that the ball was going to hit me on the back or on the leg or on the go heel in. and go in. Yeah. He says a second or so, and you can see his face; he freezes, and, and until the ball's past him, and then it's it's you know drug behavior moment because the yeah. book starts uh, on uh, this. Uh, yeah, that's what I'll say. I mean, it's, it is literally Drogba's final kick almost for. Yeah. For Chelsea, really, it's the end of his contract. It is. He, he's thirty-four. Did he win African Player of the Year that season as well? I'm not sure. Is I can't remember, but I, I I know Drogba's name is up in lights. It's it's all for him to take, isn't it? And yeah. he, he just buries it, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, this this is it's a nice round to go to the book. As I mentioned, the book starts with Terry missing the penalty in Moscow, and the reason Terry's taking a penalty is because Drogba's been sent off. So he yeah. wasn't there to take the penalty. So oh, right. it's completing the circle. And there again, um, I've got Drogba, he said, in, in, the, in the book, he said, as walking forwards, he'd noticed that um, uh, uh, um, Neuer had studied the run-up of Chelsea, eyes sort of fixed on the run-up of the player. So he detected a, a hint of which way the ball was going. And he said, so I was only going to take two steps. And he said, I, I even contemplated taking the Penenka just clipping it down the middle. Wow. I mean, how brave would that have been? But in been. the end, he didn't. And they took the two steps. And I've got a picture up in, in the apartment here where, where we are in Spain. And the kids bought me years ago. And it's a drug bridge just peeling away after taking a penalty. The ball going um, to the left, uh, Drogba, Drogba's left. And Neuer driving the other way, looking back at the ball. I was in the new bag and it's got a special place in, in our apartment and in my heart. Yeah. Yeah, and Rick, Rick, you remember that, that jubilant scene? I do. Yeah, it's, it's just good. You just know, you know, you're a part of history now. You know, you've you've won the thing that we've always wanted to win, and then uh, just for me, the iconic uh, dropper with the with the um the trophy, you know, steering oh, yeah. it around the stadium, steering yeah. it on the pitch. That's always yeah. going to stay with me. And it was yeah. it was it was quite a moment for everyone. And I think even I know people give Chelsea a bit of um stick, but. It's such a story, such a season that I think most people thought it was just, you know, that's what football's all about, you know, just the, the highs and the lows and always back the underdog kind of story. And I, th- I think everyone loves an underdog story. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ricky. And as the ball goes in, Martin Tyler um, says, he's done it. It's the greatest night in the history of Chelsea Football Club, yeah. champions of Europe. And that sticks in my mind at this moment. I can hear him saying it now. Yeah. Like, Towards, that's almost the sort of closing area to the book. Um, 
in the, in the story because I mean, as you say, it was his last kick, last kick of it, although he came back afterwards after a couple of years, but his contract was up. It was going to be his last kick for Chelsea, deliver the Champions League. Yeah. It, it, it can't, it, it, if anybody, I mean, I've written a couple of novels, and if anybody had, 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 had sub, submitted a story like that to an editor or if a Hollywood film writer had said, I think we ought to make this film, you get laughed at. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. It, it, the story else was too ridiculous for words, and yet it's true. It yeah. is. Yeah. And like I said, you know, Chelsea lift the Champions League um, for the first time in their history which yeah. um, obviously being a Q- I have to say being a QPR supporter I wasn't jumping around the room however <laughs> uh, as, as, as I've said before um, even if you're not a Chelsea supporter for people listening the book goes into great detail uh, about this fascinating football story it is a fascinating football story oh. Uh, out of the blue by Gary Gary Facker. Gary, is there any other thing, anything you want to add about the book? Um, I guess I guess perhaps the, the the one thing I would say is, um, although I'm a Chelsea fan, I don't write it as a Chelsea fan. I'm, yeah. I'm very sort of third person about it. The people whose um, opinions I put in the book um, throughout the story are the uh, the journalists yeah. uh, and the fans who I spoke to. Um, in essence, I tell the story through them rather than through my own experiences. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, nobody wants to be what I think. You you know, I, I like I like the third person narrative. It works much better. And as I say, the uh, to have the passion of these guys and uh, of the Chelsea fans in and there and sort of contrasting that or sort of comparing that against the the sort of fairly neutral observations of of newspaper uh, reporters who were involved in the days that went on. I think works works so much better. And you know, I think yeah. the book. Tells a better story because of that. Exactly. And um, what I want to mention as well to all the listeners, this is Gary's, uh, I believe, quote me if I'm wrong, Gary, your sixth published uh, book. That's correct, yeah. Um, Gary has also written two fantastic novels, which we went into uh, detail uh, in a few podcasts ago when Gary was our guest. The Games People Play and a whole new ball game. Also, a great subject, uh, The Beautiful Bridesmaids Dressed dressed in Orange, which is a book on the Holland or the Netherlands or the Dutch national team at um, major competitions, which, again, it just shows, Gary, uh, you know, I want to say it's, we're absolutely grateful for you to come onto the show. You are a recognised author and you write fantastic football books. And I'm sure... People, uh, listeners and uh, people that read this Chelsea book are going to, you know, be in for a great, great uh, um, treat when they read it. Oh, bless you, Alex. That's, one, that's very nice of you to say, man. I do hope so. And uh, you know, one of the one of the sort of um, things you write a book of the book is the best thing you hear when somebody puts something nice about it. You think, you know, you know, forget forget the money you make out of it. That's not really important. I mean, it's about massive anyway. But to hear, to see people respond positively to something that you've created yeah. is. It's a magnificent, uh, it's the best accolade. Well, we, we can't thank you enough for your time, Gary. And it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you, mate. I mean, I, 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 it, it has for me too. And, you know, it's nice to be talking with Ricky, you know, with the Chelsea fan as well, and uh, to, sh- to share the joy. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, no, thanks, Gary. And, and it's been it's been really nice to kind of reminisce over this as well. It's given me an excuse, not that I needed it, to go back on YouTube <laughs> and see these see these goals and and see the trophy getting lifted again. So it's it's really appreciated. It's, it seems like uh, yeah, it seems like it's meant to be. So thanks again for coming on. No, bless you guys. Thank you very much. I've had a ball. I always have a walk talking about football. Um, so thank you very much, guys.
Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Gary. Cheers. Cheers. Right, so that was Gary Thacker with his new book coming out on the 11th of April, um, available online, all that kind of stuff. And it was the book was called Out of the Blue, Chelsea's Unlikely Champions League Triumph. Now, thanks, Gary, again for coming on the show. He's got he's on his way to a hat-trick, like we've said. Um, it's great having him on, as always. And I uh, look forward to next time with him. Alex, thoughts? Indeed, I thought it was great fun, Rick. Um, I have to highlight again, obviously, being a QPR supporter, it does obviously char my heart to talk about Chelsea winning the Champions League. However, I, you know, there were some there were some great games in there um, and it was interesting to, to run through them, really, and sort of have a little look back. It would be especially good for Chelsea supporters, I suppose, to relive those wonderful, glorious moments. Well, that's it. At the end of the day, although you got the rivalry, it was an underdog story. Everyone loves an underdog. But I think it's a story that if even if you don't like Chelsea, whatever, you can still appreciate, you know, the games, the glory, the stress and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it was good. It was good times. Now, I think we need to move on to England. What do you think, Indeed. Alex? Indeed. So it was International Week has just gone and we are going to chat about the England games. And also we're going to have a little run through the World Cup. Yes, indeed, it is the World Cup, Rick. It is. It's getting close. It's going to be a winter World Cup. It's going to. Is it going to be a winter wonderland? I wonder. But no. Um, yeah, no. England. Right. Let's start. England. Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, so it was. Uh, it was an England victory two one. Yeah. Although the score, from my point of view, we were very lucky to get that win because we looked shaky. Switzerland was surprised. I mean, I know they're decent, but they were. Uh, they exceeded my expectations. Embola from Mutering. I can't say the name. Mutering Gladbach. Bruce um, Mutchen Gladback, yeah. Yeah, he was on point. I mean, yeah, did he, you see his header? I, I thought it was a great, great uh, header from Mbola. He is a, he's 25 years old. They signed him from Schalke, is it Schalke in, in, in Sch Germany? Yeah, you're, uh, you're something he, like that. He is a product of um, Basel, who uh, plays in Switzerland. Uh, but he's played 100 games for Bruce Mutchen Gladback with 21 goals. I, he's a decent player, isn't he? He is decent, but the thing is, he's international. He's played 23 matches for Switzerland. He's only scored five goals, but you wouldn't have been able to think that from the way he was playing against England. He, he had the confidence, you know, the, the the strength on that header was just quality. I mean, I when I was watching him, I was thinking, I need to look up this guy. Where is he? I've never seen this guy play before. Uh, are you saying you're going to sign him on Football Manager, Rick? Is that is that what we're saying? Oh, if he wants to come to Dulwich Hamlet, then I will oh, sign well, him every day of the week. So, um, Imbolo, if you're listening, um, Ricky's a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm, and, yeah, and we're, yeah, we're going to sign you for our um, Football Manager teams. There we go. Yeah, we'll I'm, kind of a big, I'm kind of a big deal. I got Dulwich Hamlet promoted in the first season, five games to go. Kind of a big deal, Imbolo, just saying. Um, but, but so, yeah, no, I mean, Luke Shaw... You know, he's only playing because everyone else is injured. I'm not the biggest fan of him, um, but he scored a goal. You know, it's on target. It I, goes I, in. I quite like, um, I quite like Shaw. I think um, he, had, he had a very good Euros. I think he played very well. He obviously scored in the final. This goal was reminiscent of that goal in the final. It was him sort of pulling into the box late. It was a crossfield ball from Gallagher, which was his debut. Chelsea yeah. boy, obviously playing this season at Crystal Palace, but it was a composed finish. He showed he could do that in the Euros. Um, like you said, Rick, prior, it was a tough game for England because if you look at um, Switzerland, they've got players, they've got uh, Xhaka, 
Yep. And if, if you look at Xhaka, he has played 240 games for Arsenal now. You know, he's a very experienced midfielder. Um, and Shakiri, of course. Um, Shakiri, oh, oh, Shakiri. I'll, I'll give I'll give you one guess. Where Where do you think Shakiri's playing now? Well, what gun? Uh, what country or what team? Oh, what yeah? What team's he playing for? Uh, Turkish or something? Uh, no. He's playing for Chicago Fire in America. Oh. Oh, hold! Oh, I was going to do an yeah. impression, but I haven't got one. But no. yeah, fair play. So, um, also got a Kanji who um, plays for uh, Borussia Dortmund, who's obviously a, a, a great defender for them. So it was a good test for England, and they came through with a seventy-eighth minute penalty for Harry Kane, which he dispatched professionally. It's a great penalty. Was it a penalty for you, Rick? I don't think it was a penalty. I mean, I just like. I thought at first because it was for the I can't remember their names, but there was two um, Swiss players who one had his hand up, and I think it glanced past him onto the other guy who mm. just had his arms by his side. And I thought, well, I can't give the penalty for the guy with the arms by the side, but it was the first. His hands were out there, but it wasn't clear that it touched his hand, and I think we were very lucky for that. For me. With this whole handball fiasco that's been going on this season, I think it fell into into play last season as well. For me, I've sort of accepted the ball-to-hand uh, scenario as much as we don't like it. It's part of the game at the moment. And on this showing, it was very much ball-to-hand and they've been given. And I, yes, in my heart of hearts, I would say it's soft. However... These sorts of penalties are, be are being given week in, week out. So, for me, it was a penalty. But yeah, um, I think everyone just needs to. I think I think people just need to chill out with stuff like that. I don't think it was one, but I think guys can we just chill out a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, Kane, solid penalty taker. You put your house on him scoring. Yeah, you know, the, I think the score flattered us. Switzerland played very well. Very impressed with them. Um, but England are quite lucky. But then Walker Peters, it's good that he got a start. Or oh, I don't know if he got a start, but I can't remember. But he, he played and he yeah, hit the post, started. so he was unlucky. You also had Gaye, uh, the Crystal Palace um, player as well, who started as, as well. Yeah, ex-Chelsea. Yeah, oh, OK. But he's, yeah, um, yeah I mean, he, he's a fantastic player. He's had a great season for Crystal Palace, along yeah. with Gallagher. And, you know, they, they deserve a call-up to the England team. It's good to see. We, we know how Southgate operates. He brings the young players through he's he's used to he knows a lot of them from the, the under 21s he's sort of seen them nurture through the england system so it, it's i think it's great to see oh it's uh, definitely but, great to see i mean because because gay he i think that's how you pronounce his name yeah, yeah. um he was he was chelsea player he went on loan last season and uh, he had a storming um season in the championship and he was voted uh player of the season i think um and I thought he was going to get a start for Chelsea. I thought he, well, not start, but I, I thought he's going to be in the rotation. And this is what really annoys, just quickly, really annoys me about football, higher football clubs. You have such talented players, but they just they just can't get into the team, and then they get sold. And now Palace are reaping the rewards, and everyone's going to say how good he is. And we've, you know, we sold him off, but uh, yeah. you know, it is well, what it is. That is it. That seems to be the modern game. Now moving. On we've got England versus the Ivory Coast. For me, it was a little bit of a formality. Um, yes, England scored three goals, so very effective. I think 
Sterling showed up in this game. I think he captained the team, uh, which is a great achievement for Sterling. But um, he's really showing a maturity. He showed it in the Euros, didn't he? How he can have this impact on the England team. And he certainly showed it in this game. He, he, he seems to sort of propel the team forward. Yeah, he's a, he's a good player. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of his. Obviously, he, he gets he makes the goals he scores look easy because he's in the right place at the right time and he uses his speed at the right time. He's all about timing because he scores tap-ins. Most of his goals are tap-ins and they're boring to watch, but they'll they they're goals at the end of the day. He knows what he's doing and he's quality at doing. Yeah, it. I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Sterling. I I, I think he's um, he affects games so well with his bright pace he's also now since he's been under Pep Guardiola he's sort of he's in box what's the word I'm looking for how he goals it for me personally you you say they're tappings I think he's just he's managing his sort of inbox play he's in the right places he's popping up at the right time he's he's picking the better shots I I, I think we're looking and I'm going to say this on like we, Sterling is becoming a world-class player. The reason why I highlight this is Pep Guardiola could have let him go for Man City by now, but he keeps him on the books because he knows with Sterling... See, it's funny you say that because I bet you that this summer coming, Sterling leaves uh, City. I just have a feeling. I I think his contract's out. I think his contract's running out. Oh, well, anyway, aside from that, I think the World Cup is staged for Sterling. And I know we're going to come on to the groups that the group that England's been drawn. But for me, if there's if there's a key to success at this World Cup, and I know with England, we measure success in different ways, i.e. realistically, are we going to win the World Cup? Probably no. However, if we're going to go deep into the competition, for me, yes, we've got an abundance of good players, but Sterling for me is the key. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think, I think he'll be, yeah, the key to the lock to getting us out of the group stages. Um, well, but no, but the England Ivory Coast game. Just to quickly go back to that. So, yeah. th- three nil England. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, Watkins got a tap in. I think Sterling gave that to him. Then Sterling did a tap in. Bob's your uncle. And then Ming's nice header down out uh, down onto the floor, out of the way of the keeper, yeah. and um, slotted it in. Uh, there was a penalty that was given and then rescinded. Um, which was the right call um, mm-hmm. because the Ivory Coast player got the ball first and it was very clear. So I'm very glad that that got rescinded because it's the way it should be. But I was really impressed with um, Jude Bellingham. Uh, he played yeah. really well. He's still, he's still, I feel like he's very immature still. He's still young, obviously, but he's still very immature. And I think he sulks a lot, but he's got a lot of skills. And if but... he could just, you know, if he can just calm down his attitude then um, I think I think he's going to be one of the key players. Him and Foden are the two key uh, youth players or younger players, I'd say, at the moment. So what, what I'm going to say, I'm going to, I am going to completely agree with you on that. And what? I, 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 yeah, there we go. And and with Bellingham, obviously he's been playing his football in Dortmund in Germany, but undoubtedly he is top class. And like you said, Rick, I mean, I don't know if you use these words, but for me... He is the future of English football. His presence on the pitch at his young age is there to see. He dominates the midfield. He makes things happen. You know, he's obviously we've got Rice in there as well, who he's he's learning a lot from because I think Rice is world class. I've watched him a fair few times this season. He's unbelievable. And for Bellingham to be amongst players like Rice and Sterling, 
Grealish, you know, um, Mings to to be playing with those with those guys in the England setup is just gonna it's gonna stand him in such such good stead. But I agree with you, Rick. Yes, indeed. I know. I can't believe that, but I don't agree that you think Rice is world class. Oh. Sorry to take that. He Rice is good, but he plays for West Ham in the Premier League and he plays the odd England game. He needs to prove it at the big stage. And you know this. Well, uh, I think this this um, winter period when uh, you know the World Cup's on. I think that will be his test because he's he's good. But I was very I, I I was very quick to say how good Mason Mount was, and then he's slowed his uh, pace down. So I'm reluctant to give that sticker of approval or stamp of approval to Rice just yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I I say I say world class. If if we're looking at midfielders in the world, I mean, for me, I think this World Cup. Again, like I mentioned with Sterling, I think this World Cup is for Rice to actually stand up and show you know the world what he can do in that midfield position. So yeah, because the it thing should is, be very interesting when because Kante is world class in that position. He's the best in the world at that for, for now. So that's why I'm that's why I'm saying you know Rice is good, but he's nowhere near the magician of Kante. But yeah, you're right. So many good players. I mean, Ward Prowse was playing. I yeah. love Ward Prowse. He's you know he's an en he's an engine. He goes for it. He's the best free kick uh, taker in the league. Um, you know he was all over it, which is great. Smith Rowe, obviously, you know we know how much you love you. <laughs> we know how much you love him. Yeah, uh, Gallagher, exactly. Gallagher, I've got a lot of time for. I really hope Chelsea give him um, give him some starting time next season. Uh, Mitchell from Palace, the left back. He's yeah, good. He's he got some talent as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously Grealish. We know Grealish. We know Foden because they've been around for a while. But there's a lot of potential. I just really hope that. Um, Southgate doesn't do the thing he always does, which is just go for the same eleven every single game. It's boring. People get people don't earn seem to earn their positions anymore. It's more like you know Kane will start all of these normal stuff. Obviously Kane should start, but my point is with these such, such talented players coming through, when they're proving it in the uh, in the Premier League, the you know the most difficult league in the world, they yeah. need they should they deserve a chance to play in the best stage. And I just don't want uh, Southgate to go safe and do the same old team because it's boring. I don't think to see that. No, I yeah, I, I I do agree with you, Rick, and that's what I hope. We hope that Southgate does pick a young, vibrant England team with a little bit of maturity in it as well. Now, moving on, Rick, to the World Cup. Now, the World Cup in Qatar is in uh winter in i think it starts in november doesn't it yeah and i think it finishes just before christmas i think that's yeah that's right so england the the group's been sort of semi semi drawn we've got iran the usa and either wales scotland or ukraine so yes on paper it looks i wouldn't say it's, it's definitely not a death group Let's that let's that that's for see, sure. Yeah, it's not see, a death group. This this group is progressible. We we can get out of this. However, Iran are a decent decent side. That that they're, they're not a bad football inside Iran. Um, and of course we know the USA are a great prospect at the moment. They're, they're not quite the finished article, but they've certainly got some players in there that can do some damage. So, I think it's a case of England. As we saw in these two friendlies against Switzerland and Ivory Coast, they, they, their management of games is very good. They do keep good possession of the ball, and it's going back to what I've what I said about Sterling. I think he's the player who can un unlock this group for us and get us through to the knockout stages. Yeah, I think I think let's be honest. I mean, I with 
the we were obviously we're waiting for the last person to get in to the group. So was yep. it Wales, Ukraine, and Scotland? I yep. think realistically that will be Wales. So on my assumption that it's Wales, I think the most interesting game of that group will be USA versus Wales because I think they're very both they're both quite similar because they have key players that the team are like molded around or work around because obviously you got Pulisic for for America and yep. then you got Gareth Bale for Wales. Um, Indeed. Uh, you know they're both up and coming, uh, especially America. They've the last couple of years they've really started to improve their squad. Uh, I think their country have started to take notice of how important football is uh, as well. You know more teams coming up, like uh, Ford Madison, obviously being one of those teams oh, yes, that we interviewed uh, earlier on in our pod. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think it's not going to be a sure thing. But uh, I don't know. It's not the worst group, but I, I, I think it'd be an interesting group. Um, so. Yeah, I think I'm going to say England and USA to go through. What about you? Uh, yeah, I'd like to say Wales because I always, I always like to back a home nation. But um, I, I, I think the, I think the USA by between this, this time and now, we're going to sort their, sort their ship out, and, and I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be ready for the World Cup. They've got, they've got a decent. Uh, I think they've got a decent squad so I think yeah I think England and USA I think we'll win the group I think we'll go through I'm being confident here yeah now, I'll, I'll agree with you on that group I want to touch on group E we're not going to go through this uh, sort of bore everyone to death but we're going to look at a couple of the groups so the World Cup group E I'm going to call the death group meaning the teams in this group are Germany Japan and Spain and either Costa Rica or New Zealand Germany, Japan and Spain is, for me, is the death group. I mean, how on earth do any of those teams get out of that? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Japan are going to be uh, doing a little shifty eye movement looking left and right because, you know, everyone's going to assume that Spain and Germany are going through easy. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Japan are feisty and they're a good team to watch. And, um, you know, I, I love their, uh, their their fans as well. You remember them uh, always clearing up after themselves, being really polite, <laughs> respectful, but and see, that's what see, you want from fans. Well, the, the thing is with Japan is when it comes to the World Cup, they do usually turn up they're, they're, and, and they're a decent footballing team. So I'm going to I'm I'm hoping that I get, you know, when you do these sort of um, you pull a name out of a hat. I, if, if I'm going to have a, a, an absolute wild card for the World Cup to, you know, to be one of the best teams, I, I'm going to go for Japan. I think Japan, Ooh. I think they're going to be one of the surprise packages, Japan. Wow, and we I, were. That is a shock. And, and I also think, I think they're going to get out of this group. I, I think either Germany or Spain are going to uh, buckle uh, in this group. And I think Japan are going to get out of it. I think, they, there we go. I'm going to put my, uh, put my money on the line now. I think Japan will get out of this group. I think you are loco because right. Spain. Just you have you forgotten that uh, that Pedri's from Spain? Because yeah, well, yeah. did you see I, his goal? I, I, I know, but I just I just fancy some World Cup, you know, sort of mania. So that's that. That is my World Cup mania, Japan. All right, I'll think about what my mania is going to be, but I think you're crazy because Spain are getting stronger again. They're like the uh, I can't remember the saying is. It's like um, the Sleeping Dragon. I know that's probably a uh, Japanese or something saying, or is but you know they. Spain are about to rise again. I think Spain, Germany, and you're crazy, and Japan are going to be bottom of the group, and you're going to be <laughs> well, I, I, eating I, I, humble pie. Yeah, I mean, you're selling Spain to me a little bit, Rick. So I'm, I'm going to say Spain to top the group, Japan to go through in second ahead of Germany. There we go. You heard it Interesting. here first on my stream well, Speaking of wild cards, I'm going to go. I'm going to tell you my wild card now. Group F. We've group got F. Belgium, Canada, 
Morocco and Croatia. I'm going to say Morocco are going to go through and they're going to have a really good tournament. Wow. They, 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 they sort of, they, they were supposed to do better in like Africa Cup of Nations and they sort of didn't really show up for that. So I'm on form. I'm going to say um, Belgium top group, Croatia will go through quite easily, unfortunately, Rick. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Let's see who gets further, Japan or Morocco. Let's do that. Okay. Then. There we have a little, we'll have a little bet on it then. Yeah, let's have a little cheeky, cheeky Japan bet. Japan and Morocco. I'm, 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 that's, I think I'm well in favour for that. Now, mm. the other group I obviously want to look at here is uh, Brazil. How, you know, Brazil, when it comes to the World Cup, the first team I ever think of is Brazil because they've never been to Brazil. Oh, yeah, been to Brazil. Oh, yeah. But, that, you know, because that, that, they, they have dominated um, the World Cup as a whole, if you look at it. Um, not only with their great football, but obviously winning the competition as well. Are they likely to win it this year? I mean, you never knock Brazil. Brazil, I, I mean, I think when I think of the World Cup, I think of Brazil. I think of uh, 66 and then I think of Brazil after that, in yeah. that order. Because, you know, that's what it's about, you know, and it's all good stuff. So, I mean, yeah, they've got as good a chance as any. I, I mean, I don't know. You you just assume that it's going to be the normal stereotype people that are going to be in the final and stuff like that but uh i think i think yeah i think they've got a good chance um they're definitely well, the, going to the, have to clear the group though the other team we've got uh the other south american team and it's always the south american teams that sort of bring that sort of um prestige to the world cup you've got argentina who beat brazil in the confederations uh confederations cup so which messi obviously won his first honors in an argentina shirt so could Argentina turn up on the world stage? Could it be, a, a, you know, sort of a, a reef of nostalgia at this World Cup? Could Argentina do it? Well, I think it's the last chance to loon, isn't it? Because you think you've got you've got um, Messi for Argentina and then you've got um, Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal. This is their last chance. They're not going to be around very true. It's for, very the true. Next, for the next tournament. You know, the, you know nothing. They're, they're, they're gonzo. Uh, so I think Argent, they're really going to push it this, uh, this year. And um, I think it's going to be a really, really good tournament. I'm going to try to get off as much time as possible to watch these games because I think there's going to be a lot of surprise, a lot of surprise results. I think it's going to be really, uh, really good. Good stuff. I I do agree with you, Rick. Anything else we want to chat about on the World Cup, Rick? Oh, I'm not too sure. I mean, I think the I think the African teams are going to do really well this year. Um, you know, I think Senegal are going to do amazing. Uh, Cameroon, I think they're going to do quite good. Ghana as well. I think, yeah, I just I'm really looking forward to the tournament. And the, the fact that it's in winter is is a real weird thing for me. I I think it'd be quite weird because coming up to Christmas time, you're watching World Cup. Doesn't seem right, but. I don't know. Football's well, football. Football. Um, you mentioned Senegal. That they're, they're coming off the back of winning the Africa Cup of Nations, and oh, yeah, I, I do agree, Rick. It's fantastic to see uh, the African nations rife in this World Cup. Like you said, you've got Cameroon, who I felt had a strong African Cup of Nations, and I think they're going to be good in this competition. And as well, Ghana. You can never knock Ghana. They're a strong side. But uh, there we go, Rick. That was the World Cup. Indeed. Right, Rick, that was episode 14 of Monday Sportive. A little bit extended, but we had a great chat with Gary Facker, who is on his second episode. And like we said, he's on for his hat trick. And we also had a look at the World Cup and England's prospects, didn't we, Rick? It was a good episode. 
It was a good episode. It was a long interview, but it was a great interview. I can always chat forever about Chelsea's uh, victories, and I know you loved every single second of it, Alex. Indeed. Well, talking of victories, Rip, we do have a winner of the Roma shirt, don't we? This is correct, yes. To celebrate our 700 followers on Twitter, Monday Sportive LDN, by the way, um, we did a giveaway for a Roma shirt, and the lucky winner was Katie Miller, who was selected at random. Uh, so she should be expecting a DM on Twitter any day now. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, I think that was good stuff. I could have done with a Roma shirt because I don't have one yet. But, you know, that's the way it goes at the moment. But uh, maybe we'll do something cheeky for a thousand followers when we get there, Alex. How's that sound? Let's let's see. But once again, people who are listening, we really appreciate it. If you can subscribe, like and comment on Apple Podcasts, especially, we would be very much appreciative, wouldn't we, Rick? We would indeed. It'd be a glory days. But uh, yes, that was the episode. I've had a grand old time, Alex. Uh, Thanks as always for your wonderful company. Indeed. I'll see you next time, Rick. See you next time. See you next time, everyone. Follow us on Twitter at at Monday Sportif LDN.